The following podcast is a Simpronto Media production. She's a business mogul. Number one. And wellness expert. How can I help? And now Chantel Ray and her amazing guests are here to guide you on your wellness journey. Time to level up. Welcome to the Waste Away Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to today's episode. And I'm so excited to introduce you to Mark Scott. I absolutely love him. He's so amazing. He's actually local here where I live in Virginia Beach, and he is one of the best doctors. He's a functional medicine doctor that specializes in thyroid and weight loss. And we're so happy to have you with us here, Mark. Glad to be here. Good to see you, Chantel. Great to see you. So today we are going to talk a little bit about being stuck in a rut with weight loss and some of the causes of that. And I really want to focus on insulin resistance right now. So for listeners, I want you to talk about right now, what is insulin resistance and what can people do to solve it? So um, that's a great point because I think insulin resistance has got to be one of the number one, you know, obstacles that I see in people's ability to manage their weight. And uh, the first step is, you know, what is insulin resistance? So insulin resistance is when the cells of your body become resistant to insulin. So how does that happen? Well, if you're constantly producing excess insulin, then your cells become desensitized. So it's kind of like listening to loud music. Um, you know, if you turn it up too loud, then your hearing starts to get damaged. And then you've got to turn up the volume to get to the same level. And what's that going to do? Cause more damage, right? So this is something that I see a lot in our, in our society is that as people become more insulin resistant, then they have stronger cravings and they need more sugar or glucose in their blood to get the same effect. And it's kind of like a, a snowball effect that goes out of control until they end up reaching prediabetes or diabetes. And then the solution is you go to your doctor and many times they'll put you on insulin, which is going to cause more resistance. So it's really a vicious cycle. Um, but that's really the crux of the inability to lose weight because insulin's main job is to signal your cells to store fat. And it all, but more importantly, when your insulin levels are high, it also prevents you from removing fat from the cell. So any level of insulin uh, resistance is going to be a major, major obstacle in your ability to lose weight. And this is probably one of the most important factors you see when someone says, you know, I exercise, uh, I diet, I do all the right things, and I can't seem to lose weight. Because even if you're not eating, and even if you're exercising and burning more calories than you're putting in, that excess insulin prevents the body from pulling out the body fat from the cell. And I uh, read a statistic that one in three people have prediabetes in the United States. I don't know what kind of you know, studies you've seen, but I've seen different ones and I've seen it as high as, you know, 40 to 45%. And, you know, everyone has this statistic has this, but I think the biggest thing is people don't realize that insulin is a hormone. I think that's, that's a missing piece that people understand insulin, but they don't realize that it's a hormone that the pancreas makes 
and it allows the cells to absorb and use glucose. And people who are insulin resistant, the cells are unable to use the insulin effectively. And so for me, one of the things that I have been obsessed with, so I got this <laughs> continuous blood glucose monitor. Obviously, I haven't eaten anything today. It's 85 and um, which is good. That's a yeah, that's where you want to be number for me. Um, but one of the things that I've loved seeing is just how every little thing affects my blood glucose. And for me, I am insulin sensitive in the sense that when I just even have too much fruit, I don't, my body just doesn't do well with a, even fruit. It, it, it has a hard time. My blood sugar spikes up and then it drops down to to bigger levels than an average person would. So for example, I'm at 85 now, I'm completely fasted. And let's say that I ended up having some mango and pineapple, you know, just some high sugary fruits, a banana a smoothie. Well, my blood sugar is going to spike, but then what's going to happen is it's going to drop and then yeah. it drops to maybe like you know, 68 or something like that. Right. And then I'm not feeling great. Can you talk about that at all? Right. So yeah, so there's two kind of factors there. One is, you know, your your fasting glucose. And then the other is these fluctuations and how your body handles those fluctuations. So the fact that you could be fasted and be at 85 is really good. But then you've got the whole picture of, you know, if you eat uh, sugar of any type or even carbohydrates of any type, how does your body handle that? And if you have these broad fluctuations, so the more stable your blood sugar, the better. And this is what we call metabolic flexibility. So when your body overreacts to the, um, the glucose you're putting in and you go beyond certain highs and beyond certain lows, that's going to raise something called the hemoglobin A1C. And that's another marker that we look at. So one of the things you look at is your fasting glucose, but then you look at another marker called your hemoglobin A1C, and that looks at how the blood sugar has been fluctuating. And we have broad fluctuations. That means your body's still not able to manage your blood sugar very effectively, and it's overreacting um, by producing too much insulin. And then that causes the spike, and then it causes it to drop. And that's something we want to avoid as well. So when you're looking at typical blood work, um, you know, most doctors are going to look at fasting glucose and a hemoglobin A1C. And once that fasting glucose gets above 95 or so, they may start to say you're, you know, pre-diabetic or if you have um, an A1C that's, you know, above six, then we might start to look at that. And uh, I know I try to look at more functional levels, which are a little tighter ranges, but I also find that I think in our society, even if your body is managing those numbers, you still can have a problem, you know, with your insulin sensitivity. All right. Well, I have a couple of questions for you. This one is from Jill Sperry in Alpharetta, Georgia. I love your podcast and you talked me into getting a continuous blood glucose monitor. But when I wake up in the morning, my blood glucose levels are around 105, sometimes 108. And when I look this up, it shows in the website, it says that I'm pre-diabetic. But after I wake up, my blood glucose levels seem fine. 
am I pre-diabetic just because my blood sugar is high and going over a hundred in that range? Jill Sperry, Alpharetta, Georgia. So, you know, I think uh, one of the things that we try to look at in a functional approach is, you know, try to get, try not to get so caught up in just like the names and the diagnosis is like, am I pre-diabetic? Am I, you know, insulin resistant? It's more a matter of how do we optimize function? So when you're waking up with blood sugars that high, then you're definitely not optimal function. And I would say, yeah, you're probably close to being what we call pre-diabetic. But more importantly, you know, how do we how do we fix that? How do we improve uh, your body's ability to manage that that glucose? And it's really there's no one answer. And there's lots and lots of things you can do. And all those things work synergistically together. So just to name a few things, you know, number one, when your blood sugar is high after sleeping, that's because you're going for a long period of time without eating, fasting, and your body is having to produce excess glucose to keep your blood sugar stable. And that's a, a dysfunction. So one of the ways you fix that or start to help strengthen that function is to fast. So when we do intermittent fasting, that's going to help strengthen the body's ability to be able to go longer periods of time without eating. So one of our pit, pit, uh, pitfalls of our success in society and, and how we've learned to you know, have food available all the time is we end up eating all the time. But that creates a weakness in our system. And our bodies were designed to go through long periods of times without eating. And that's one of the fixes is to work with intermittent fasting. Yeah, and I don't know if you've heard of something called the Dawn Phenomenon, but it was about like 30 years ago, and it's estimated that about 75% of type 2 diabetes patients that right before they wake up, so if they had a continuous blood glucose monitor on, but just before awakening around 4 a.m., the body secretes higher levels of growth hormone, cortisol, you know, adrenaline, that sort of stuff to kind of get you going. And that, that, that it kind of can kind of get your blood sugar up a little bit more in the morning. And so for me personally, I know that depending on what I ate even the day before. So if I'm eating something that is kind of higher in sugar that next day, even my blood sugar, because again, I'm sensitive. So for me, I might wake up some mornings and my blood glucose is at maybe a hundred, sometimes 103, um, depending on what I ate. Now, if I'm eating a, a really good kind of a a cleaner diet, I'm eating lots of protein, good fats. I'm waking up in the morning and it, it actually, my blood glucose is always higher in the morning. So when I first wake up, it's always kind of in that 90, 95 range. I'm not like this girl, Jill, who's kind of more in the 105, 110 range. I'm more in between 95 and hundred, but as soon as I wake up, And as soon as I go to the gym, my blood sugar goes right back down to somewhere in that 80 80 to 85 kind of range. Yeah. And that's and that's also why a lot of times people have problems sleeping and they end up waking up in the middle of the night 
is it comes down to this blood sugar management throughout the night. And if your body can't handle that long fast, it'll start to produce those, those hormones. Like you said, it's like epinephrine, norepinephrine. And these are ways to help the body manage blood sugar when it starts to drop. And instead of tapping into your fat reserves or, you know, uh, mobilizing fatty acids and stabilizing the blood sugar, your body isn't able to do that. So then it tries to ramp up these hormones and that sometimes people wake up in the middle of the night and their brain starts thinking and they start worrying about stuff or whatever, but that's those chemicals kicking in that's trying to manage the blood sugar. And that's just another symptom of, um, of our body's inability to be flexible, metabolic flexibility. Um, and fasting is one of the ways to help strengthen that ability so that you can go longer periods of time without eating, you know, and even simple things like just not snacking, you know, so we live in a society where, you know, we eat breakfast and then we have a snack and then we eat lunch and then we may have a snack and then, you know, we go to eat dinner and then before bed, we have another snack. So we're constantly eating and this, you know, sends the wrong signals into our body where we're constantly relying on the food that we're taking in versus relying the food for the energy we've stored. And our bodies store massive amounts of energy and we don't need to eat, you know, as much as we do, but we enjoy it and it tastes good and all that kind of stuff. So we kind of are addicted to eating on a regular basis. And then once you're in that metabolism where your body's burning the things that you're eating, and carbohydrates are a primary source of that because they're short action where fats are long action. So if you eat a certain amount of carbohydrates, you're going to crave more. And you're and so one of the ways I try to explain to patients is you have two main metabolic systems in your body. You have a fat burning metabolism and you have a, a carbohydrate burning metabolism. Your carbohydrate burning metabolism can only store a small amount of carbohydrates. So a little bit in your muscle and in your liver. Now your fat storing capabilities are massive. And that's why we have so much ability to store body fat. Our bodies were really designed to run on fat, primarily uh, most of our existence. So uh, in nature, we don't have that much carbohydrates available to us, you know, maybe some fruit during fruit season, depending on what part of, you know, the world you live in. Um, so our bodies relied a lot on the stored body fat and that's kind of, uh, I think, the crux of modern uh, dilemma is that we're eating so frequently and we're constantly relying on, on that short-term metabolism. And that short-term metabolism also takes precedence and always works first before the fat-burning metabolism. And you have to drain that carbohydrate tank in order to get the body to start burning in the fat-burning metabolism. And when you start to lower the tank, the cravings get really strong. So a lot of people have a hard time draining the tank, so to speak. I like that. And figuring out how to, to drain the tank because, yeah. you know, insulin is the chemical messenger that basically instructs the liver to store some glucose rather than releasing it all into your bloodstream. So, you know, the liver kind of is it kind of stores that glucose, right? And so if you're eating just carb after carb after carb after carb, sugar after sugar after sugar after sugar, you're overloading your liver. Let, let's talk about, you know, let's talk a little bit about fatty liver disease. Yeah, and just so, so all that ties that. in, right? So you've got constantly 
body trying to store carbohydrates in the liver and that constantly keeping the um, insulin levels high. So every time you're eating, you know, even if you eat just proteins, that's going to raise insulin. So just eating frequency is, a, is part of the insulin resistance puzzle. Um, but obviously carbohydrates cause a higher spike in insulin. Um, and then the liver is constantly trying to, to get, when a liver gets full, then it's got to convert that to fat. And that's where we get like high triglycerides where we're trying to convert that sugar into fat. And then if there's resistance, then we can't get the fat into the cells. Um, so it becomes this vicious cycle. And that, again, that's where you get non-alcoholic fatty liver. So obviously alcohol is a sugar and that'll people that drink excessively create fatty livers, but even just people that, that, that don't drink alcohol that still end up with a fatty liver, um, it's that same process taking place. And that's where um, everything is interconnected. And it's, it's like, so yes, we need to cut back on our carbohydrates. We need to eat less frequently. We need to look into some intermittent fasting. Um, and then how do you drain those reserves? Well, you know, our body also stores a lot of these uh, carbohydrates in the form of something called glycogen. And glycogen is the sugar that our body stores in our muscles. So the more muscle mass you have, the more glycogen you can store, which is good and bad. So what I always tell my patients is like, you know, if you exercise, you're gonna burn through some of your glycogen. And that's why exercise is so important for, for weight management and blood sugar management. But, you know, our bodies are pretty, are designed to survive in, in very extreme circumstances. So it's not that easy to burn through all of your glycogen, <laughs> you know? So you have to really work at it and you have to keep the carbs low, keep food intake low, exercise fast. And then over time, you can start to deplete uh, those reserves. And then the body will say, okay, now we got to start tapping into these fat reserves. Um, and for some people that, you know, that, that takes practice. So, you know, most of us have grown up our whole life where the minute you're born, you know, you're, you're on mother's milk, which is a form of sugar. And then you go to um, fruits and grains. And then once you're in that carbohydrate burning metabolism, your body keeps wanting more carbs. So then the little baby won't eat anything, but you know, the, 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 the grains or the fruits, so or the juices, so you keep giving them that. And then they go through life, you know, until they meet me and they've never really been in a fat burning metabolism ever. So it takes time to actually teach the body how to do that. Yeah. And I think the other thing people need to, I love what you just said that people need to really hear it's, and it also applies to drinks. So I know people who they like to have kind of coffee all morning long. Mm -hmm. So they have like coffee with say cream that has a little bit of sugar in it. Yeah. And so they're drinking that coffee with cream. Well, they're like sipping on it all morning long. Well, guess what? Every time you're drinking that, your body is putting insulin into your body. So it's like, yeah. you're never giving it a break. Like no. you're just constantly sipping on something. Talk about that for a minute. You know, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, that's what I'm saying is that, you know, we just live in a society where we just constantly are consuming and we just can't do that. You know, our bodies really need to go through periods of time when you're not eating. You know, I see a lot of people that have digestive problems and, you know, when you're constantly digesting, then your body can't do other things and it can get, and the digestion can get overwhelmed and it can get burned out. 
So when you're fasting or not eating, our body goes into something called autophagy. And what that means is that your body starts breaking down your own body tissues and the body tissues that it starts to break down are the ones that need to be repaired. So part of the repair and healing process is not eating. Now, in nature, when you have food, our body takes all of our resources to process that food and, and store it and use it for later. But we, we really weren't designed to be constantly eating all day long. You'd have to hunt or gather or, you know, you go through periods where there was just nothing to be found. So you need to go through those periods of time. During those periods of time, um, your body is healing and taking the resources it would normally take towards digestion and putting that towards healing. And again, that's where our bodies will manage blood sugar through long periods of time when you're not eating. And that's, uh, it's a, it's a strength that needs to be built. So just like our bodies were designed to be physically active in order to survive. Now we live in a world where, you know, we don't have to be physically active. We can have food. We don't have to go to the grocery store and even pick it up at the grocery store. They'll deliver it to us. So you have to go to the gym or you have to force yourself to work out. If not, you become unhealthy. And if you don't work out, you get so um, out of shape and deconditioned that if you went to the gym and lifted too heavy, you'd be miserable and you'd be in pain and you may even hurt something or, or tear a muscle. So you got to slowly work into it and retrain the body uh, to be strong. And the same thing goes with these, this metabolic flexibility and the body's ability to, to go long periods of time without eating and to heal and repair damaged tissues and still maintain steady blood sugar and still be able to sleep and be able to think and have good brain activity. Uh, and that's why I say all these little pieces of the puzzle all come together, you know, Let's talk about hormones and how hormone imbalances have such a big impact on weight loss resistance. Totally. It's all hormones, you know? So you look at it at a teenager and they can eat whatever they want. They do whatever they want. It's, it's all because of hormones. You know, you look at a bodybuilder and, you know, if they take the right hormones, they're going to get ripped. Right. So it's all about hormones. And, you know, um, in my practice, I see a lot of hormone imbalances, a lot of hormone problems. Um, and there's lots of different tests that you can do to help look at the hormones and see what, what shape things are in. Um, probably one of my favorite tests currently is called a Dutch test. And this is basically just a, a sample. You take a urine sample uh, on a little uh, piece of paper and you, and you do it a couple of times throughout the day. And that gives us all the different fluctuations throughout the different hormone systems. And the things about hormones is that they're just full of feedback loops. So if your estrogen is high, that's gonna cause your testosterone to be low. If your testosterone is high and you have certain principles in place, you may convert that testosterone to something called DHT. If you're not converting it, then your free testosterone gets high. And there's all these different, they all interplay with each other. And this is probably one of the biggest um, challenges with hormone replacement and things like that is because you're giving these exogenous hormones, but then how the body reacts with those feedback loops can be very complicated. And, um, and that's why, you know, guys that do uh, bodybuilding and do uh, steroids and stuff, you know, at first they feel great, but then their other hormones start to counter and their estrogen gets high and, and then trying to balance that out after they go off, it's, it's always a mess. So you got to be careful with that. And 
you know, from a functional medicine perspective, I like to look at it from, again, back to these foundations, like why are the hormones off? Well, it goes back to digestion. You know, if your digestion isn't good, you're not going to absorb fats and proteins because carbohydrates are very easy to digest. Proteins and fats require good stomach acid, requires a, a functioning gallbladder and bile production. And those are the first things that tend to go when we're overeating. So that's going to create a blood sugar imbalance. And then we get these blood sugar imbalances. That's going to have an impact on your adrenal glands and your adrenal glands have a big impact on your hormones. And that can start to throw off your DHEA, your progesterone. And these are the kind of the building blocks to all the other hormones. Um, so it's just this cascade. And you can do hormone testing and you can look at all the imbalances. Um, but you still have to go back to the foundations, in my opinion, you know, to actually get things fixed. Hey guys, one of the things that will take your weight loss to the next level is coaching. You can either work one-on-one -on -one with me or one of our certified private coaches. If you'd like, you can schedule your free call. It's a 10-minute strategy call just to see if coaching is going to really take you to the next level. Don't just take my word for it. Listen to this recent review a happy coaching client sent in. Thanks so much for your help and guidance. I never could have done it without you. The other thing is listening to the audiobook. Listening to the audiobook and getting the video course that I've done, people are seeing dramatic results. If you just listen to the audiobook 30 minutes a day, over and over and over again, and get the video course, go to ChantelRayway.com and check out the video course. You won't be sorry you did. All right, I've got a question for you. Um, this is from Sarah Davies in St. Petersburg, Florida. I took a Dutch test and I was stunned to find that my cortisol, the main stress hormone, was three times what it should be. I know that cortisol causes belly fat deposits, PMS, and a short fuse. My insulin was too high, which made my blood sugar high. Insulin wasn't doing its main job, which is driving glucose into my cells. My leptin was blocked to causing me to be ravenous. My thyroid was borderline slow, leading to hair loss and fluid retention. What do I need to do to fix my cortisol and should I get on hormones? My doctor suggested two supplements and that's it and eating better and working out. Is there any other suggestions? Yeah. And, 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 you know, that hits me right on the head. So, um, there's no magic supplement. There's no one supplement. There's, you know, this, this, the idea of like eat, eat better and, and exercise more, you know, first of all, you know, when your cortisol is high, that's a, if you're having excess stress, and it could be lots of things, stress that could be part of your stress, you know, stress management is way underrated. In my opinion, now we, we really have a very stressful lives and we have stresses from all different types of factors, whether it's blood sugar, again, you know, the main topic of our, our podcast here is blood sugar. That's a massive stress. Um, all the things we were just talking about before her question, right? We're talking about just overeating, you know, eating too frequently, um, eating too many carbohydrates, uh, not fast, learning how to fast, and then your exercise levels. All those things are going to help lower the blood sugar, but that's just one source of stress that could be raising the cortisol levels. You can also have... Um, uh, you know, uh, poor sleeping patterns. So staying up too late, uh, being in front of a computer too long and having those um, uh, blue light 
into your eyes and that's throwing off your sleep patterns. And that can be another source of stress. You know, even simple things like breathing, you know, I'm reading a really cool book right now where, and it's looking at just how breathing has such a huge impact on our physiology and that most of us are over breathing. We're actually breathing too rapidly and too frequently and too much oxygen is actually a problem where having more uh, CO2 in our bodies and breathing slower and more steady can have an impact on our pH. You know, oxygen and, and CO2 have a huge impact on our body's pH, on our stress levels, and even stimulating either the sympathetic or the parasympathetic nervous system. So your sympathetic nervous system is kind of your fight or flight. And then your parasympathetic is kind of your relax and digest. So again, just lifestyle things like, you know, sitting down and eating in a calm environment versus, you know, going into a fast food place, driving down the road and eating while you're talking on the phone and driving is just not going to help your digestion. And it's not going to help your stress levels. Um, so, you know, I don't know, we could go on, on, on and on and on about things, but to answer well, I think, I think question, what I'm hearing you say, and I think kind of, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you kind of have like a three-step protocol. Like you first say, all right, first we need to start with your lifestyle redesign and we need to kind of fill in those nutrient deficiencies, right? Like step one like whatever I do, if, if we don't fix what you're eating and what you're putting in your body and getting some of those nutritional deficiencies under control, that's like step one, right? Then like step two would be like, okay, let's see if we can administer some kind of herbal therapies. If, you know, like some different kind of things that might help you get that would be step two. And then step three would be kind of adding some bioidentical hormones if those imbalances still exist. So is that kind of your philosophy from, from what I know? Well, you know, the way I really describe it is that um, my basic philosophy is that we have to look at, at the basic foundational issues. And it just depends on where we end up in on that, that realm. So if you have hormone imbalance, there could be, you know, why are the hormones imbalanced? And again, like it could be something that's like stressing out your adrenal glands or you could have, um, you know, why are the adrenal glands stressed? Because you've got maybe a blood sugar problem or maybe you've got like a mold or fungus somewhere in your environment. You've got maybe some food allergies or food sensitivities that are causing stress. Um, you know, there's so many. So, so you have to kind of just do some detective work and back it, track it to the basic foundation. I want to talk about food allergies for just a second, yeah, yeah. because I, I feel like personally, I've taken tons of those food allergy tests and yeah. every single time besides eggs, egg whites seem to come up every time and cow dairy comes up every time. But besides that, it just comes up with all these random things. So like, like I could, I could take the test, let's say two weeks from now, and I could guarantee I would take a different test and it would give me some other Yahoo things that it would tell me that I'm allergic to. Now, without a doubt, it always says egg whites and it always says cow dairy. Those two things are, seem to be the same thing on there. Yep. Then every once in a while, like one time I took one and it said romaine lettuce. Another time I took it, it said broccoli. Another time I took it, it said, I mean, just 
But it said so, blueberries, which I so eat. Here's the thing with food testing. So, okay. you know, cause I've done this for a long time and, and I, I totally agree with everything that you're saying. And that's a major problem. And the way I look at that is it's what we call a, a downstream principle, right? Mm-hmm. So if you have a dirty stream, you can go downstream and you can have this fancy filtration system and try to filter out the water. But if you go upstream and you, and you stop dumping dirt in the water, then you don't need that fancy filtration. So when we're looking at um, these tests, most of these tests are looking at the blood and the antibodies are being formed by the blood. Now, if you backtrack that and go farther upstream, one of the first phases of, of problems with food sensitivities tends to be in the intestinal lining. So when I do food testing, I'm usually looking at the mucous membranes of the intestine and the antibodies are being formed on the mucous membrane, not the ones that are formed in the blood. Because if you have damage to your intestinal lining, then it creates something called a leaky gut, which then allows undigested food particles to get into the bloodstream that shouldn't be there. And that's going to create an immune reaction. So when you get a food testing and you're allergic to everything under the sun, then that just tells me that you've got a foundational issue there where you're, where you're letting things get into your bloodstream that shouldn't be there. And that's going to create antibodies. So if you go back and look at the foundational issues and, you know, my, the, the, the main things I see as the most common foundational food uh, culprits would probably be gluten, dairy, eggs, and soy are probably the most common things I see. And those are the things that actually start the whole cascade. And gluten probably being the number one that can really cause damage to that intestinal lining. And then it can lead to all these other food allergies. So the, the, the solution to that is to not just avoid all those things on the list, you know, broccoli and, and romaine and, you know, carrots and all these things. The idea is to actually go back and heal the gut lining first. And what, how do you specifically do that? So what are some practical things people can do to heal the gut lining? Well, first thing you have to do is you have to identify what are your main triggers. So again, if you're, if you're having a problem with gluten, then you've got to identify that and find out number one, are you creating antibodies in your, in your mucous membranes? And do you have maybe a genetic predisposition to that? Because if it's genetic, you know, a lot of times once you heal the gut, you can reintroduce these foods and you're fine. But if you have these certain genetic predispositions, then those are things you have to avoid for life. So you have to kind of identify that. And then you have to do, you have to actually heal the gut. And you should do just like a, um, you know, like an autoimmune diet protocol where you pretty much avoid all possible things for a period of six to eight weeks. Um, and then there's certain nutrients that, that usually help with the healing process, like glutamine and some other herbs that kind of help soothe the intestinal lining and speed that so process. So what are the top, if, if you had to pick kind of your top five things uh, as far as supplements go that you would recommend to people to heal the gut, what would those be? You know, I think that, I think number one is, uh, is what you eat and avoidance. So doing that autoimmune protocol is probably your number one thing. You know, the supplements kind of just help. Um, so like I said, I think glutamine is really, really big for giving the, the raw material to help heal that intestinal lining. But you can have all the great supplements in the world, um, slippery elm and, and things like that help kind of soothe things. 
Um, yeah, good probiotic supplement to help reestablish that can be very important. Um, but if you're not if you're not doing the dietary things, then all the gluten in the world isn't going to help you. All the slippery elm isn't going to help you. Um, you really got to to change that diet and identify and get identified. You know what it is are your main your main triggers. Hey guys, I wanted to tell you I'm offering a free weight loss virtual Bible study. Now is the perfect time to focus on understanding true hunger and fullness and learn what the Bible has to say about it. All you have to do is go to ChantelRayway.com slash Bible study. After you sign up, you'll receive a six week Bible study video that you can watch on your own or you can get a small group of people and do it together. That's ChantelRayway.com slash Bible study for your free six week Bible study course. Got it. Yeah. So anything else that you would say that you recommend to people that you would say kind of lifestyle wise and otherwise that you'd say, these are the game changers. When I see people do this, this, and this, this is kind of the game changers for them. You know, I, 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 that's always a tough question because I think the basic, the basic thing that I try to teach my patients is that everything, every little piece of the puzzle matters. So, you know, everybody's looking for that magic bullet, you know, and, and some people, you know, if they're doing all the right things, a lot of times when people come to see me, you know, these are people that are, are kind of, you know, been involved with their health issue for a long time. They've done a lot of research. They've been to a lot of different doctors. And for the most part, you know, they're actually doing a lot of the right things and they've educated themselves very well. And they're doing all these, all the right things, but they're missing just a couple pieces of the puzzle. And once you figure out that one piece of the puzzle, then all of a sudden they get dramatic results. So, so for that one person, it may be, you know, I've been doing everything right, but I haven't really figured out that fasting thing. Or, you know, I was doing everything right, but I didn't realize that, you know, my insulin resistance was off. Or, you know, I was doing all these things and I was eating well and, and everything that I could recommend, fasting, and, but I didn't realize I had this parasite. And that was totally throwing my digestion off. And then, you know, I wasn't producing enough bile. Um, so I think there's no one, you know, one thing in my, in my experience. Uh, and that's why you always hear these uh, stories of like, people say, well, do this because it worked great for me. And then they do that and it doesn't work for them. Or the next person says, do this because it worked great for me. And then they try that and it doesn't work for them. And that's where the individuality comes in to really understanding each person's um, unique imbalances. Uh, but, but like I said, the, just the basic fan, foundational things of, you know, learning how to fast, uh, learning how to manage your, your carbohydrates and your eating frequency. Um, those are just basic foundations that I think anybody can do um, to start, just to get the process going. Now you can see patients all across the country, right? Through Zoom. Yeah. 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 That's a, that, that's a nice thing these days. You know, we Zoom with Zoom. Um, I can share my screen. I can share lab work with people. And, um, and I have a lot of patients actually that are uh, not local. Yeah. Awesome. Well, tell listeners how they can find you and how they can follow you. Well, the best thing to do is just go to our, go to our website. So uh, uh, totalhealthcentervb.com. Um, and on that website, it's got all my different links where you can follow me on, on my YouTube channel or Facebook. Or, um, and there's tons of content just on that page alone. And you need a lot of good information about what I'm doing and, um, and stay up to date on 
the different content that I'm producing and uh, helping people change their lives. It's all about improving quality of life. Yeah, that's right. And I think the biggest thing that you said is like, I think a lot of people are like, they want that magic fix right. and they don't want to do the work of, you know, eating what they need to be eating. They don't want to be taking the supplements. They just, they want, they want just the fast, quick thing. And it's multiple facets that, that definitely need to be. It is. It's probably the, the biggest message that I can say. So, and, you, you know, as functional medicine and as the alternative movement is kind of growing, you know, people get so fixated on, you know, whatever, hormone testing or adrenal testing or, you know, the the genetic SNPs and all the different things, you, the little rabbit holes. And those things are all great. And I utilize those things. But the biggest message that I can try to help my patients understand is that there's so many just basic, simple lifestyle things that um, that you can't ignore. And you can do all of those different things, but, you, you know, it's every little thing matters. So, you know, regular exercise routine, learning how stress management and learning how to learn how to calm your nervous system down and, and practicing that, you know, um, learning how to manage your, your food intake and your fasting and your glucose and the, and the macros, whether you're eating enough protein, not enough protein, you know, all those different things. And then even just simple things like getting out in nature, you know, and sun exposure and, um, and then spending time with your family and, you know, the social environment, all these little pieces are all part of the health puzzle. And when you put them all together, that it's very powerful and you can fix all of these chronic conditions that, that you can go to specialists for. So like I say, I treat tons of thyroid patients and we have to do these foundations. And when we do that, then the thyroid starts to fix itself many, many times before I even get to actually treating the thyroid, but you have to start at the basics. Well, and I will say, you know, right now we are in the middle. We just started. It's not too late for anyone to join. It's a 30 day, no sugar detox. Awesome. And I'm literally taking the next 30 days and I'm having um, you know, you every, people can choose their level. So wherever they are. So I already was eating healthy. So for me, I'm doing no grains, no sugar, no uh, fruit even because I can get a little crazy with the fruit sometimes. Right. Right. And so, again, if you're, you know, that's something that you may be doing wrong is that you're just eating too much fruit. And it's still sugar. It's still sugar. And your body's not, if you're insulin resistant, your body's not going to respond well to too much sugar. So for me, I just had to say, listen, in order for me to really heal my body and get myself to where I want to be, I've got to take the next 30 days and just not have any sugar at all. So you and can that's awesome. Cause those, and those are the things that, you know, the, the other big factor that I use in my practice a lot is just the idea of cycling so going through periods of yes. like very low carbohydrates but then you have short periods or maybe have higher carbohydrates and then yes. you go back to low carbohydrates and or going through periods where you're eating higher protein then go periods where you eat low protein you know our body always adapts um so that it's awesome to do these little challenges because it helps people give them that extra push to kind of do that if you do that for 30 days or so you know that's one of those little cycles that you go through and you can do that periodically. Yeah, this is, I'm super pumped about it. People in the awesome. group are really pumped about it. But, you know, it goes back to kind of realizing, I think all of us kind of have a blind spot 
of where we're not really seeing what is, you know, because people, I see people that are like, well, I'm doing this and I'm doing this and I'm doing this and I'm doing this. And they're not seeing this glaring piece. And me, for me, it's, it's fruit and it's healthy sugars. You know, I, I make cookies with honey or, you know, just different things. Overall, I was, I'm still eating too much sugar. And so I just had to say, look, for the next 30 days, we're clearing house here. And I don't care if it's honey. I don't care if it's, you know, fruit. It's just, we're, we're putting it down for the next 30 days and then be able to reintroduce it back in. But in, in just smaller doses, because if you're carrying extra weight, you're putting in too many calories, your hormones are not right, your insulin is off. It's one of these pieces is going on. And I had to wake up and say, for me, I was putting in, I'm putting in too much sugar in my diet. I got to get it, get it out. Yeah. And that's it. And like I said, so many people are doing a lot of the right things and, you know, they're just missing a couple of those little pieces. And that's where having, you know, a good coach to teach them, Hey, here's all the things you're doing right. But, you know, we also look at your blood work and looking at, you know, what you're telling me and say, Hey, here's the piece that, that we need to focus on. And that's where you get those, you know, dramatic experiences. Like you said, like, what's the big thing that you see people respond to? Um, and that's a big one, you know, fruit, you know, cause everything's fruits healthy. And it's like, well, and, and they, and, and I, you know, I ask people, what are you eating? You know? And they're like, well, every, you know, they're like proud that they eat their fruit every day. And I say, and that's, you know, that's fine if you're, if you're fit and you're lean and you're, and you're very active, but if you're struggling with your weight and your, and your blood sugar is high, that fruit's not healthy. Yep. All right. Well, you guys stay tuned. We've got another episode coming up in just a few. Bye-bye for now. Awesome. Hey guys, thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, it would mean the world to us for you to leave a review on iTunes to get this podcast out to others that may have the same questions that you do. And as always, if you have a question that you want answered, email those to questions at chantelrayway.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.